Hi, and welcome to another episode from the University of Cambridge Centre for Creative Writing. I'm Midge Gillis, and I'm thrilled to be talking by Skype to best-selling crime fiction author Ellie Griffiths. I'm in a studio in the middle of Cambridge University, and Ellie is by the sea in sunny Brighton. Ellie has written 21 books, including two detective series. The Dr Ruth Galloway novels about a forensic archaeologist set in Norfolk, and the Stevens and Mephisto mystery series set in 1950s Brighton. She's also written a standalone gothic mystery, The Stranger Diaries, and the first in a series aimed at children, A Girl Called Justice, is out very soon. Ellie will be teaching on our new crime and thriller writing masters at the University of Cambridge. In this episode, we talk about Ellie's writing shed and how she manages to write two books a year. We also discuss research and whether there are many differences between writing crime novels for children and adults. Um, My first question is, um, what should I call you? Well, I guess you should call me Ellie at the moment. I mean, my real name's Domenica, but, you know, let's go for Ellie. Right, Okay. so can you just explain why you've got two names? Well, my real name's Domenica de Rosa, but um, that does sound completely made up, I know, but uh, it's actually my real name. Uh, My dad was Italian. I've written four books, excuse me, as Domenica de Rosa, and... And they were kind of sort of about families, relationships, that sort of thing. Um, and when I wrote a crime novel, which was The Crossing Places, my agent told me I needed a crime name. Right. So that's how I became Ellie Griffiths. Okay, so how did you choose that name? And what is a crime name? <laughs> so I wanted to be Ellen, actually. And it wasn't until I saw my first published book that I realised I'd become Ellie. And I did ask my editor about it. And she said, I said, you know, why did you choose Ellie? And she said, oh, I think it just looked a bit tidier. So there you are. So I see. Right, that's really it's, interesting. It sort of fits. But um, publishers are always saying, you must have heard this, Midge, with your name, that um, in, in, a, in a bookshop, A's at the top and Z's at the bottom. Yeah. So it's an advantage to have an FGH name. So I think that they liked Griffiths. And I just think they thought it was a bit grittier. It almost sounds like grit, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, that's really interesting. So do you feel different when people call you Dom or Ellie? <laughs> A little bit. I always say that I feel a bit taller. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's true, but possibly there is something that's a bit different when I'm when I'm being Ellie. I'm quite used to it now. Initially, I used not to react when people, you know, said Ellie, but now I'm quite used to it. Right. So, is it very rude of me to ask how tall you are? <laughs> well, uh, officially I'm five foot three, but I think I'm only really five foot two and a half. Okay, so that is relevant that it makes you feel taller because actually I'm five foot ten and I wouldn't want to feel any taller. So oh, how lovely! I'm for height envy. But you know, Mitch, we've we've known each other a long time and I've stood next to you. I would have said we're on eye level. I'm so delusional about my height. Well, uh, yes, I, I think of us as being kind of well, and also you, I probably wear flat shoes and you maybe wear a heel more often. Yes, maybe, maybe that's right. Anyway, um, can you also explain about the um, the two crime writing series you have? Because you're so prolific, you're the most prolific author I think I've ever met, and I'm <laughs> bound to miss out one book. So, could you just briefly explain the two series? So, I write the Ruth Galloway series, which is now eleven books. So, the Stone Circle, which was out in February, is book eleven, and there's also the Steamers and Mephisto books, which I think the publishers are now calling the Brighton Mysteries, oh. and they're set in the world. Ruth, Ruth Galloway books are about a forensic archaeology 
archaeologist and they're set in North Norfolk and that beautiful sort of bleak and lovely North Norfolk landscape. Uh, The Brighton Mysteries are set in Brighton, around Brighton in the world of the last days of variety, really. Um, There's also a standalone that came out last year, which is called The Stranger Diaries. And next month, there'll be a children's book. There are just too many Ellie Griffiths books. Well, no. I mean, I'm really fascinated, and I'm sure lots of people would be, about how you managed to do all this, because you're also on the road a lot, aren't you? I mean, you're, you're travelling around talking to libraries and in bookshops. Yes. I mean, how do you manage to write? Well, I try and write um, when I'm home. So, so I, when I'm home, I, I try and write every day. I write at least a 1,000 words a day. That's my kind of mantra. Um and but I don't write much on the road so it is a question of just writing when I'm at home and writing every day whether I feel like it or not and I think that's the only the only thing really possibly you know uh, that that makes you a professional writer is if you write whether you have an idea or not whether you want to or not and I do write and you know I have so far touch wood trouble is my office there's not much wood to touch but touch wood um you know, I uh, I've so far been able to do two books a year. Yeah, that's amazing. So uh, we're obviously speaking by Skype. Are you in your office at the moment? Yes. It looks really nice. I it is. Your I... Front room. I imagine you'll I move it round. Lovely. So uh, give me a sense of the size of it. it it's it's smallish. I call it a shed. Yeah. Um, but you know, it sounds a bit. I don't know, Margot Ledbetterish to call it. But it is just a, It's big enough for a desk, um, a chair. I've got a um armchair for the cat because he's often he's not here today actually but he's just in the house somewhere but normally he sits on the chair behind me and there's some bookshelves but yeah so it's you know it's yeah. here it is and is that a um so you're in an office chair but is that an armchair behind you or a yes that's gus's oh. chair Oh, it's Gus yes with a little cushion there yeah. there's my plant which is called cigar wayne um, <laughs> any particular reason well, Cigar Wayne and the Green Knight, which is oh, a so is it, I like. is it a, a spider plant? Yes, it is. It's 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 quite healthy though. Somebody said that cats often attack them, but my cat and Garwain have obviously got an agreement, and they don't attack each other. And I've just got a copy of um, uh, all my books for reference yeah. and other reference books. This, which is a fabulous book, Jim would love it. It's called The Hollow Land. It's a Norfolk Legends. Episode. Is that a recent publication? I think so. Yeah, I got it from Gerald's when I was there last year. It's yeah. absolutely brilliant. So I'm using that for the new book. Yeah. And you've also, um, sorry, I'm being really nosy, you've got some um, lovely um, pictures on the wall. Is that a, a seascape behind you? Yeah, there's just the seascape there. Um, but here, which I don't know if you can see there, you probably can't see that one, is a picture. Um, a reader did this for me, and it's a photograph. Oh. Of Ruth's Cottage, where she thinks Ruth's Cottage is. Yeah. So where do you think that's that would be? I think that is probably Chichwell. Okay, right. Uh, just on the edge of the marshes there. But I love it. I just have it there and I look at it. And I've got a few other like, little special things around me. Like this is a little blue cat that my friend Leslie Thompson gave me. It's just a few little things. Somewhere, I've, oh, here, look. This is a, a memory stick. In the oh, shape of a gun. Yes, you're holding it up to me in quite a threatening way, I have to say. I am, yes, I'm doing it, actually. So it's a memory stick. So how cool is that? So I've got a few little things like that. And, of course, a witch stone, a stone with a hole in. Where, where's that? So that's just from the beach here, and I have a few other witch stones outside for luck. Right, okay, so you're, you live near Brighton, or in Brighton, is that right? I, I've lost Salt Dean. Oh, you're in Salt Dean. Right. Okay. Um, and um, so, can you talk us through how you um, moved into crime writing? What was the impetus for it? 
Well, what happened was um, I had been interested in archaeology for a while because my husband, Andy, he, he'd been a lawyer when I met him, but then he retrained as an archaeologist. Um, and so we all became interested in archaeology. And one day, we always holidayed a lot in Norfolk because my grandmother lived there and my aunt lived there. And one day we were walking across Titchwell Marsh um, and Andy made this comment about marshland being sacred because it's neither land nor sea, but something between, yeah. that prehistoric people thought of it as a bridge to the afterlife neither land nor sea, neither life nor death, mm. like a liminal zone, an in-between place. And that's why you find sort of bodies buried there and things like that. So as soon as he said that, I had the idea for The Crossing Places, which was my first crime novel. Yeah. But, you know, initially I didn't really think it was a crime novel because it was also about strong female main character. It had Ruth, who's the forensic archaeologist. Um, but my agent said, oh, this is crime. You need a crime name. Uh-huh. So that's how I... As I said, the Sabbath came Ellie Griffiths. Um, and that's how we sort of got into crime, really. Right. Writing about um, an archaeologist. Yes. Yeah. And had you always loved crime novels? Always. In, in retrospect, it's amazing that it took me four books to write a crime novel because my first ever book, which was written when I was 11, and it was called The Hair of the Dog, which must have been something my parents talked about a bit, I guess. You were a heavy uh, drinker as a child. <laughs> no, but it must have been a phrase that I'd heard in the house. But I think it was interesting then. It was the kind of the revenge aspect of it that interested me. You know, it's the idea that the hair of the dog that bit you is the thing that will make you better. Um, so I should think it's not a bad crime title. So, yes, so it was a full-length crime novel written in the village where I still live. And it's about a little village and a group of young people decide to have a fake murder so that media will take interest in them. But, of course, it becomes a real murder. Yeah. Well, that's not a bad premise, actually, to be honest. Amazing. You you remember it after all this time. I, well, I did, well, funny enough, I found the beginning of it recently, but I haven't found the end, so I have forgotten who did it, unfortunately. Um but uh, yes, yeah, so I always love crime, and you know, like a lot of people. I was thinking though that my first crime book that I loved was Enid Blyton, the Rillaby Fair Mystery. Yeah, so- and it's um, it's a very good. You know, Enid Blyton obviously has her detractors, but it's actually a very good plot, and there's a a scene with um involving stuffed animals and their eyes gleaming glassily in the dark it's actually very scary so yeah so that was probably my first crime novel but then I became obsessed with Agatha Christie read all of those um I also really like a writer called Nancy Spain you you must know Nancy Spain but she wrote a book called R in the Month which is set in a sort of seaside town and it's about poisoned oysters, really. But it's just the most brilliant book about a sort of faded guest house in a town. And it's just so good. So I was very, you know, very keen on all her books and Ruth Rendell as well. Also, Barbara, Barbara Vine. So, yes, I've always loved crime. So it's a surprise it took me so long to write a crime novel, really. And you've got a background in publishing as well, haven't you? So you understand the industry. Yes. Uh, um, after university, I went to work for HarperCollins. I started as a publicity assistant yeah. and I being um, editorial director for children's fiction. So um, it doesn't help as much as you think it does, really. It's so different being being an, an author, you know, and, and now I realise how... Uh, obviously, when I was an editor, I thought I was lovely. I thought I had a great relationship with all my authors. Uh, but actually, I don't think I was nearly kind enough. I hadn't realised how lonely you feel stuck in a little writing jet writing. And, how, uh, you know, you need your, your editor to check in on you and just say, oh, you know, we're really excited about the new book. And we all still love you. I now think that I, I wasn't really nice enough to my, my authors at all. I'm sure you do. I'm sure. 
I, I did have a good relationship. Thank you, Mitch. I did have, you know, and I, I've kept in contact with them, yeah. but I didn't understand how lonely you can feel as a writer and how you desperately want to know that your publishers haven't forgotten you because, of course, there's quite a time between books. Yeah. And now with social media, which wasn't even a thing when I was a publisher, you know, they can be tweeting about someone else's book. So you do need to nurture them. <laughs> But actually, the, but there actually, isn't that long between your books because you do, you're so prolific that you do write, you know, sometimes you're writing two books a year, aren't you? I mean, how do you manage that? Yeah, well, it's it, there isn't that long, actually. And also because each book comes out in hardback and paperback, sometimes it can feel like there's an Ellie Griffiths book every month, which, yeah. uh, you know, maybe, maybe not such a good thing. Or maybe it is. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, no, there's not that much time between them. And it, it is, I have, but funny enough, I have found that writing two series a year. So what I usually do is write one Ruth book and one uh, Stevens and Mephisto book. Uh, it's not two Ruth books a year. That does help because it really very different worlds. And weirdly, I think it gives me enthusiasm for the other one. So when I'm writing a Stevens and Mephisto book set in the 50s and with two male main characters, I'm really longing to get back to Ruth and the Norfolk Marshes and, and a woman main character. But then when I'm writing about Ruth, I suddenly think, oh, I want to be back in the 50s where there are no mobile phones. Yeah, or... yeah. So um, it keeps you fresh and eager to get back to the different world. I think so. And also writing a standalone, which I did last year, really helped. Yeah. So can you tell me about that? Because it seems that every crime um, writer does that at some point. And why was it the right time for you to do that? Well, it was more a question of I had this idea in my head for a long time to write what was kind of a gothic novel that's yeah. in a modern day setting. Um, and I just sort of couldn't put off writing it anymore. So uh, luckily, my publishers were, were behind me. So I you know, sat down and wrote it. And I suddenly thought of a way to start it because it starts... It's set in a modern day comprehensive school that had once been the home of a Victorian short story writer. So when I decided to start the book actually with the short story, which obviously I've written, um, that really gave me the way to do it. So I, I, once I worked that out, I really had to write it. So, But it did really, it was so much fun to write because you're writing with new characters. It's written the first person, which I haven't done for a long, long time. Um, and also, you know, you're writing about characters people don't know, so they could be a bit unreliable. Yeah. So do you think you'll do another standalone? Yeah, I will do. I will do another standalone. Uh, but I'm quite keen to include the same detective. Oh, interesting. Uh, so it might become not a standalone then? My publishers think it'll be a standalone. So I think it will be a standalone featuring Harbinder or something like that. And you're you never writing books, two books at the same time. Are you, you finish one and then move on to the next one? Oh, I, I can edit one and write one, uh, but I can't really kind of... Um, create i know it sounds a bit yeah. <laughs> uh, at the same time um and so uh, you say that you you only write at home you don't write when you're on the move Do you, are you working out um as you're traveling plots in your head or thinking about things is that useful time for you when you're out on the road yes yes i do um i've got a little notebook in fact it's here i'm going to show it to you yeah and in it i write notes while i'm on the road there it is uh-huh. right and i keep it always next to me just at the front, it has um, all the dates of the Ruth book, so I can remember when she was born. Oh, it's like... You've got her whole CV there then, have you? Yes, yes, more or less. And then I just write little little notes. Sometimes I do little pictures. Uh, so I always take this with me. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Right, you should have it insured. It would be awful if you lost it. Uh, well, the thing is, I always think it doesn't matter. You, you, I never, I never worry about losing stuff. Oh, I should touch wood again. But I always think you'll do it better the next time. Yeah, that's a very good attitude. So let's <laughs> say you've got a writing day. Tell me how it starts and, and how it's punctuated. 
Well, I try and start quite early. Uh, my kids are now both at university, so I usually try and sort of start by sort of half seven, eight. I make myself a strong coffee. I've got a little coffee maker here in the shed. Um, and Italian but it's coffee, Italian coffee machine. Yes, yeah, yeah, Italian coffee lavazza. I like a I like a strong espresso to start the day. But it's funny because if I don't come up here by eight, Gus, my cat, yeah. often comes up and is waiting for me at the door. So he's like my little conscience. Yeah. And when it yeah. snowed at Christmas, I followed his little paw prints up to the shed because he was up there waiting. So, so I'd have a coffee and then start. You know, look at sometimes quite often I don't open my emails or anything. Uh, just start writing because you know you can open your emails and get stuck in that I don't look on Facebook or anything like that I just start writing so you're quite disciplined I mean I would find that really difficult not to to launch my email well it's yeah well of course you you, you have a proper job as well but but it is I've just found that you can spend easily an hour answering emails so I try and get my thousand words done before I do anything else but you know I, I try to be disciplined but I am quite distracted I play online scrabble quite a lot and I have to try to stop myself doing that or uh, but I don't listen to the radio I don't listen to music it's it's quiet up here apart from a bit of bird song um and and you know I do focus I am quite focused when I'm writing yeah and then how long will you write for I try and write till lunchtime. I used to look after my mum who who lived nearby. Sadly, she died a couple of years ago. So that's kind of a bit the time I stopped writing, sort of about 12, 1. Um, I tried, uh, I sort of stopped then. Um, you know, have some lunch, probably go for a walk, go down to see the sea. And then I come back and I'll do kind of, you know, houseworky things or admin stuff. So then I'll look at my emails. Then I'll do all those other things you have to do. Yeah. And is your, do you see your husband during the day? Well, I see a bit too much of him at the moment, Midge, because uh, he uh, he is an archaeologist and he's freelance, so he's at home quite a lot, which I do find quite difficult. Um, but he's restoring two old French motorbikes, oh. which are in the garage. Yeah. So uh, goodness knows why he bought them on eBay. Um, so really, we probably don't sort of get together probably till the evening, but then that's quite nice. So we come back down, have a glass of wine or something, have supper. So that's very nice. Yeah. And then the next day, do you um, read what you've done the previous day or do you just plough ahead? I try to plough ahead, really. Uh, um, you know, I'll read over it quickly just for the odd thing. But, you know, I'm not much of, I'm not much of an editor. I... I um, I, I don't go over my stuff. I try to to sort of trust my first draft, really. So when I've got to the end of a book, when I've got a manuscript, I always remember there was something that Greg Moss said. He said, you can fix a bad page, but you can't fix a blank page. Yeah, that's really so I always think it's kind of important to have a manuscript. So when I've got a manuscript, then I will read back over it and change things like I'm always doing things like, People get into a woman gets into a car in a skirt and gets out in trousers and things like that. So you know, I always try and fix things like that. Yeah. But um, I don't do much change, and then I'll send it to my agent and my editor together. Right. I never show it to anyone before then. Yeah. I never show it to Andy or to, to anybody. I'm quite. Yeah. It's a superstition with me that I would never show work in progress to anyone. Um, but I know that's not you do for everyone and you know our students get quite a lot from sharing work with each other and that's a great thing but for me the first readers are always my agent my editor so there's a very tense you know few days until they come back to me yeah do you talk about you talk it at all with your husband or any other writers or friends no I try not to I try not to talk about it sometimes you know I've got a there's a group of us uh sort of south coast writers who are all very good friends me Leslie Thompson William Shaw Sue Wilkins Julia Crouch 
quite often we'll get together in a sort of cafe and we will talk a little bit, but um, not really in detail. I, again, don't like to do that. It'll, it'll go over in my head. If I'm walking, if I'm swimming, I like to swim quite a lot. Um, go over the plot in my head. But I don't share. I'm not one. You know, if you were to ask my family who were the main characters in my books, they wouldn't be able to tell you. That's really funny. Um, and then what about research? Do you do that at your desk or do you actually go out and see places and um, talk to people about research? I try to see everywhere that I've written, I've written about. You know, I do feel you get a totally different sense, you know, when, you, when you've been done, you've smelt it, you've heard your, your footprints on, on the gravel. You know? Yeah. Um, it's it's lucky that I write quite a lot about Norfolk and I'm there quite often doing doing publicity events. So whenever I'm there, I do some research as well. And also the wonderful thing about Norfolk is people often live there for quite a long time, generations. And so they often have really great stories that they tell you. And I, I never do an event without getting a good story. And in fact, in the Stone Circle, which is the most recent one, I wrote about Jack Valentine, which is a very spooky Norfolk legend. So it is it is sort of organic. But also there are some technical things that I know I'll need to know. And uh, through Andy, I know a couple of really brilliant archaeologists, both women. Um, Lindsay Harvey is a bones expert. So quite often I have a bones issue, which I'll raise with Lindsay quite early on. And she'll be very good. She won't say, oh, that's rubbish. She'll say, well, let's see how that could work. An ethics advisor called Graham Bartlett will read the manuscript when it's finished to, to try and maybe avoid any huge issues of police procedure. But again, Graham says things like, oh, well, that's quite unusual. And so I cover that by saying, yeah, that's how it works in Norfolk. <laughs> um, but, we, you know, he, he, he does make sure there are no huge issues with the police procedure. He is a, he's the ex-chief superintendent of Brighton and Hove. Oh, okay. I, um, and he's a very, very nice chap. Yeah understands you know about plots yeah great and what about 1950s Brighton how do you capture that well you know it's not that long ago obviously I wasn't the 50s but um you know uh, I know lots of people who were and my mum was was from around here my aunt was at art school in Brighton so I know quite a lot of people who were here at the time and so I talked to them and there's quite a lot of archive material. The 50s was very, very good for um, those lovely little public information films and you could watch them quite a lot. They're great because you get how people spoke and uh, so there is quite a lot of material out there. Also, I really like 1950s fiction. So when I'm writing on those books, I'll maybe read a Monica Dickens book or something just to get you into that, you know, spam fritters yeah. home knitted way of life yeah yeah oh that does sound nice <laughs> <laughs> yes um, much maligned the spam fritter oh, can be uh, nice yeah really nice comfort food um and tell us about this most recent children's book which sounds absolutely fan um fantastic oh thank you it's called a girl called justice yeah fantastic <laughs> that's a proof yeah that it looks great um well i really love writing for this age group um, and when my kids were it's it's called middle grade murder which is a weird title i think but it's yeah. kind of means for murder for eight-year-olds yeah. no for eight eight to twelve-year-olds is the sort of age range so it's not young adult it's kind of before then yeah. um but when my kids were that age we used to love playing that murder game you know where one person goes out of the room and the other people yeah. think of a murder and then the detective comes in and tries to solve it yeah. and i was struck by my my children i've got twins who are now 21 but when they were younger you know and their friends they came up with some amazing murders. I'll never forget one that was with two very sort of uh, 
homicidal uh, hairdressers involved and, you know, mur- murder in a hospital or on a plane. Yeah. They came up with some great scenarios. So I thought that that age group actually loves that kind of murder. I mean, nothing too gruesome or gratuitous, obviously, but, but a real lockroom murder, you know, the classic lockroom murder with clues everywhere and, and, you know, you don't know who to, who to trust. And so I wrote that. It's yeah. set in a 1930s boarding school. Um, main character is called Justice. And she's based on my mum, really, because my mum was sent to boarding school at that time. And my mum uh, was brought up by a father who was an actor who was the influence for, for the other books, actually. Um, but Justice has been brought up by a father who's a barrister, and so she's very interested in murder and murder trials. And luckily for her, there's a murder. Right, so can you tell us what the murder is, or is, would that give too much away of the plot? Well, when she arrives at the school, she's driven... It's, it's set on the Romney Marshes, which is uh, you know, my favourite setting, but but obviously one quite near here, Kent, uh, not, not far from here, Kent-Sussex border. Um and as she's driven there by, by the, the, the local taxi, he tells her that his brother drove out to the school recently. And she says brightly, oh, is he a taxi driver? And he says, no, he's the undertaker. Oh, so she knows that someone's already died there. Yeah. So there's, there's a ready-made murder for her to get her teeth into, and she does. And is she working by herself or does she have um, people who help her? She works by herself, but she soon makes friends. I mean, I think part of the story is about how she makes friends yeah. there. Um, and you know, learns learns to to get along with other people. She's been quite solitary up to then. So yes, yeah, one of one of them is is a maid called Dorothy, who who is another uh, keen fan of sort of gothic horror and keeps telling Justice to meet her by the ruined tower at midnight, which uh, uh, is a little bit trying as a meeting place. And she has a good friend called Stella. So by the by the second book, the three of them are a bit of a team. Yes. Right. So it's always kids against adults, is it? More or less, yes. I mean, um, some of the adults are uh, trustworthy and some aren't. But sometimes you can't always tell. You know, that the, the head teacher, Miss Devere, is very glamorous and um, in some ways seems lovely. But in other times her face seems to change a bit and she's not so lovely. And I think we all remember that with various teachers. So, uh, And it sounds as though there's a lot of humour in it. Is that right? Yeah. I think so. I think there's a lot of humour in all my books. I always like it when people say that, you know, um, because I do like books that, that make you laugh even even when they're tense and frightening as well. So I hope there's quite a lot of humour and uh, Justice keeps a diary, which I think is quite funny in places. Right. And um, how is it different writing for children compared to adults? Do you know, it's not very different. I don't. I mean, they're very, very astute audience children, so there's no way I'm going to make the plot easier. I mean, the books are shorter, which I quite like. They're about sort of 40,000 words rather than 90,000 words. Um, Maybe there are some things you wouldn't say and wouldn't cover, but really it's basically a shorter Ruth book with a younger Ruth. Right. (laughs) And, well, they sound quite different characters as well. Is that right? Yeah, yes, I think so. I think that they're, they're both independent and, you know also prepared to go down a dark passage at night with a candle, which I certainly wouldn't be. Um, But, but, um, yeah, I think they are different characters. Yes. And um, so we talked about Enid Blyton before, but are there any other writers for children who influenced you? Because actually, when you think about it, there are quite a few, aren't there? I mean, I'm thinking of Tintin, for example. Yes, Malcolm Savile as well. I was a big fan of those books, and they're obviously mysteries. A a wonderful sense of atmosphere. There's one, The Secret of the Gorge, I think um, I found very influential about a, 
a mystery involving a sort of uh, uh, a broken down old house and there's uh, the river there and the gorge and it's very very atmospheric and, and frightening um so yeah Malcolm Savile as well I also liked um you know Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and writers like that as well Alan Garner that's that sort of slightly spooky edge as well Oh right, yes, uh, yes, yeah, I'll serve this. Yes, yes. No, yes. I loved that book. That was yes, me, me too. Really terrifying and very strange. I don't even know. When I was at Harper Collins, I did work on Alan Garner's books. I um, ah. and I still don't really understand them, but I do yeah. think he's a genius. Yeah. So I remember at school reading it, and we all cut up bits of paper and got really into yes. it. Yes, it, it felt like it felt like quite dangerous. Something quite dangerous to do. Give me an owl when I want to be a flower, or the other way around. I can't remember. But but a yes, yeah. Um, and then just before I ask you these quickfire questions, um, we're so pleased that you're going to be teaching on our Masters in Crime and Thriller writing. I mean, what do you get from teaching? I've been in a room with you and you are a fantastic teacher. And you, oh. it's amazing what you can do, um, you know, in minutes, how you can get people to create characters from scratch. And these are real characters. So, so why do you, you obviously love it. I mean, what, what do you get from teaching? I'm so excited to be working on this new uh, course. It sounds absolutely thrilling. I love teaching. And I think what the thing is that, um, every student is different aren't they and that's what I love and everybody brings something different and sometimes you know in class you can all say right about the same scenarios it's a sort of exercise we might do and everyone's will be so different yeah. and nobody will approach it you know I, when I'm working with students I often like to do the assignment myself just to see what I come out with yeah it's always so different and that's what I love and I love seeing people realize you know that they have got this in them and sometimes I love doing quick fire exercises because it's right there you know yeah. just start writing uh, Picasso said I think it was Picasso the muse catches you working yeah. So start, and then the muse will, will come. So I, I really enjoy people finding out that out about themselves, that they can, in very short time, write something very good. Yeah. yeah, and I've seen that happen in a classroom with you leading. I mean, it's just kind of magic. It is great, isn't it? Yeah, so I do really enjoy it, and I can't wait to teach on this new course. That's brilliant. So can I ask you these um, quick-fire questions? You don't yeah. to answer them in a quick way. It's just that... Oh, I'm getting ready. <laughs> so I've asked you where you write... Uh, do you, and I asked you really, the next question is, do you write anything by hand? And you showed me your lovely notebook, but presumably every day you're typing, are you? I type right onto the screen when I'm, when I'm writing a, a book, yes, but I do make notes by hand. Yeah. Um, and then again, we've touched on this, tea or coffee or something stronger when you're writing? <laughs> coffee first thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying not to have coffee after midday, but sometimes I lapse. Yes, yeah. And that's a strong espresso, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, double espresso. Yeah. Um, and then are you a planner or a pantser, a seat of the pants writer? It's interesting because I think I've changed. I plan a little bit. Like I, in my notebook, I'll do a little chapter plan, uh, just one line for each chapter. But for the last two books that I've written, um, I didn't have a plan at all. Right. And it's the first time I've done that. And they're my two most complicated plots, I think. Yeah. So. Uh, but I, I, what I have learned, so A uh, Girl Called Justice is probably my 21st published book. It's amazing. <laughs> um, and in the year when my twins are 21, that feels quite good, really. Um, but, but what I've learned is each book's different. So in some I will plan a bit and some I will totally fancy. That's really encouraging. Um, and uh, music, radio or silence? I think you kind of said silence, didn't you? Silence, yeah. 
yes. I could hear seagulls earlier on. Or would I be imagining that or not? No, no, there's seagulls. Yes, it's it's uh, it's Brighton, so they're always seagulls. Yes, and goodness, they make such a racket sometimes. I have to say, you know, one time to be quiet. There's a couple of other birds that are thinking pigeons nesting on the roof of the shed, and they sound like they're wearing hobnailed boots. They yes. flatter around. But yes, silence. I, I couldn't be distracted Um I'm, I'm a big Radio 4 fan, yeah. but I couldn't let the archers in here. I just oh, no, you wouldn't want them in. Be very no, no, you know what they're like. And you've said you have a daily word count of, was it a thousand, you said? Try and do a thousand words yeah. a day. Right. Oh, yeah. Do you believe in writer's block? And what do you do if it strikes? Well, I've never had it touch wood again. Um, and, and partly because I do just believe in, in writing, whether you have an idea or not, and just starting. But I do believe in it. I think because I know people have really suffered with it. Mm. Um, and I think probably the answer is, you know, just to write, you know, sometimes write first thing in the morning, uh, you know, without any plan, without any structure. And I think, you know, maybe that gets the muscle working. And I do believe in it, but I haven't actually suffered from it it's the opposite with me which is an issue that i have so many ideas and just not enough books to put them in yes well that's a lovely problem to have (laughs) um and then the last question is cat or dog and we know about gus could you just oh well yes i have a a lovely black and white cat called gus he's 15 now he's just celebrated his birthday in some style um and he's he's lovely before him i would have said i was a dog person i always had dogs um but um, Andy wanted to have a cat and he wanted a black and white cat called Gus. So having been so prescriptive, it sort of served him right that Gus does prefer me, I have to say. Um, and he is quite dog-like, you know, maybe just because he's only pet, you know. Yes. Uh, he, he, he does seem to have, you know, a great personality. So, you know, I'd still like to have, you know, I always feel very envious when I see pictures of your dog. So I would like to have a dog another time. But in the moment, I'm very happy with Gus. He's a lovely pet. Well, it's quite good because it's evened up the balance because I've been asking everyone about this and um, Sophie Hannah's definitely a, a dog person and thinks that her dog should be Prime Minister and I think, why not really, you know? Roosty, he is gorgeous, yes. I have to say. Yes, so so that's great that you have a... Well, I think if he's Prime Minister, Gus can be Home Secretary okay. then. Yes, this is great. Okay. Because he's very smart, he's always in a little tuxedo, I think he'd be very good. Yes, well, I think that's wonderful. Great. Well, um, I'm sorry it's the, the Skype has uh, been a bit dodgy in places, but um, it's been so nice to speak to you. Oh, it's been lovely. I hope it's been okay. But yeah, really interesting. So been um, great. Thank you so much. And that brings us to the end of this episode. It was great talking to Ellie Griffiths and you can follow her online via Twitter or her website. I would love to know what you think of crime or thriller writing. If you want to get in touch to find out about any of our courses or to ask me any questions, please feel free to email. If you have an idea or you want to suggest a guest or a question for us to cover on our podcast, or you want to tell us about a book that has got you thinking, email me at midge.gillis at tutor.ice.cam.ac.uk. So on behalf of Ellie Griffiths and everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading in every genre and we hope you have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you back here next week for another podcast with a crime writer.